morning. Can I just uh, say a word of thanks, just, uh, just in case I forget, um, just to say thank you for all your prayers and all your uh, support and everything that's gone on. Uh, the last five years have been truly amazing, very challenging, and uh, there are times when you wonder whether you would get through the day, let alone the week, but God has been very faithful to us. One of my prayers before uh, I was coming back was that I just sensed in my heart that, I mean, as a father, I want this anyway, but I just sensed that God was bringing the family back together. And uh, as you know, Jessica's not been uh, too well recently and has been in hospital. And thank you for all those of you who visited her. Uh, she's really appreciated that. Uh, but yesterday, for the first time at tea time, we sat down and had a meal together. And uh, Jessica's now di- been discharged. Uh, so continue to pray. Um, she's... Uh, She's got some, t- some way to go, but she is, going to, she is going to walk and not grow faint and run and not grow weary. So thank you for that. So that's what we're going to see. I want to read something out to you. You don't need to turn to it, but I just want to just start with this. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Father, I ask you just to help us right now to see you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to talk to our hearts because in the heart is where transformation takes place. And Holy Spirit, I give you permission to say whatever you want through me and ask that my words will fall to the ground in the name of Jesus. But Lord, I pray that you will impact our lives right now. Lord, you have things to say to us that we must hear and we must act upon. So I ask you, Lord, to give us grace to hear and me grace to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading the paper yesterday. I've been reading the paper all week, actually. This is what, uh, I don't think this guy's a Christian, this is what he said yesterday. I suspect that when time passes and we look back on this week, it is the religious sincerity of Tariq Jahan that we shall remember. All of us, Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, Hindus, Christians, have a rich religious inheritance. At the core of this inheritance is a sense of right and wrong. And in all these religions, the school where we learn of right and wrong is the family. Muslims, Jews, Sikhs and Hindus have all very noticeably retained this twin strand of family structure and ethical teaching. Faith in Christianity itself began to unravel long ago and the majority of those whose forebears were Christian are now completely secular. They would not even recognise simple Bible stories. The events of the past week have shown the enormous value of a living religious faith. Not only was Tariq Jahar more impressive than any of the commentators or politicians who spouted on the airwaves this week, he was more human. 
By his religious response to his son's death, he humanized not only the dreadful and the immediate tragedy, he showed us that without a religion, we are all less than human. That's prophetic, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but when I've been, actually last night I was watching the summary of the week and I actually started crying. Because all I feel is a deep, deep sadness at what happened in our nation this week. If it doesn't make us sad, there's something wrong. But what it does also do in me is ask, make me ask the question, what do we do now? What do we do now? What role do you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ? What have we got to say into this situation? Because if we're silent right now, we've missed it somewhere. We, li- we follow the living Lord Jesus Christ. He completely transformed our lives. Isn't that what we say? But we don't live it. We don't live it. And we must, because our nation is dying. And uh, it, it's not too strong to say that. You've seen it this week. They are people who are walking around who are dead. And Jesus came to give us life, life in all its fullness. And today I want to talk about legacy, which is about what we leave, what we bequeath to those that are coming up behind us. How many of you have actually made a will? Anyone? Yeah? Good? You are to be commended. As my, as my financial advisor hat returns. We need to make a will, don't we? So that people know what it is that we want to leave and who to. And legacy is about, is about our will, it's about our testament. Now when we talk about legacy, we think, you know, it's not a word we, we use very regularly, is it? I mean, legacy, we think of dusty old solicitor's offices and things like that. God has really been speaking to me about legacy for the last 12 months. And some of what you hear today may not come out in any, any, uh, any kind of, it may not come out in a straight linear way. Forgive me for that. Because I think it's so important what we're hearing about legacy. Because we're in danger of missing what we're here for. We're in danger of not giving to the next generation, not just of our own physical generation, our children, uh, you know, Jessica and Hannah and Andrew, but also to our spiritual children. We're in danger of not showing them what is the right way to live. Now to do that, I'm going to look at Hezekiah. We're going to rewind to Hezekiah today. Some of you may have never heard of Hezekiah. In fact, Shirley's quite fond of when she says something uh, slightly spiritual. She says, I say, where's that then? She says, that's in Hezekiah chapter 4. And uh, those of you who don't know, that is not a book in the Bible. That's your first, <laughs> first point today. But some people think that Hezekiah must be a book in the Bible. That's right. But actually, he was a king. What we leave behind, and what I want to get into your mind now is to ask, what am I leaving behind? What am I leaving behind? Because you will leave something behind, okay? And it may not be a great testimony, but I want it to be a great testimony. In 2 Kings chapter 18, if you want to turn to it, we start to read about King Hezekiah uh, from verse 1. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. I really must stop choosing passages with horrible names in them, but anyway. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. 
He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan, I think. <laughs> okay, so Hezekiah, quite an amazing king actually. Um, I, I, I know when you read Kings and when you read Samuel, you look at this and you think, oh my goodness, can't these guys get it right? You know, you read about different kings in Israel and different kings in Jerusalem, in Judah, and you think this one was good and that one was bad and that one was very evil and that one did this and that. And it's up and down like a roller coaster in what goes on in the spiritual life of the nation called Israel, which is amazing when you think that the Abrahamic covenant was there so that Israel would be a light to the nations. They forgot who they were. But Hezekiah somehow had seen something, had met God and knew who he was. He reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, sometimes when I'm uh, going about my business, sometimes when I was, uh, as I was leading the church in India, people would say, well, look at these good people over here. Surely they all go to heaven. And in fact, I've heard that many times. And often, I'm ashamed to say, many people who are good do better works, it seems, than Christians do. <laughs> but this is the thing. This is what Hezekiah did. He did what was right before God. And righteousness is the issue, not goodness. People say, yes, I am good, but goodness doesn't get you into heaven. Goodness doesn't make you right before God. Only going through Jesus do we get right with God. And righteousness is what it's all about. Goodness is a fruit that proceeds from righteousness, not the other way around. When we come to Christ, when we meet Christ, when we see him on the cross, when we say, that is enough for me, that is payment for me, then we become right with God and then we can stand before him. Otherwise, we get consumed. We have to be right before God. And Hezekiah understood that. In fact, he is compared with David. He says, look, here is Hezekiah, a man like his father, David. Now, let me assure you that Hezekiah's father was not David, not physically. Many times removed, it may have been David. But God looks upon Hezekiah's heart and he says, there is a man like David, like the man who's after my heart. Hezekiah impressed God. Have you impressed God? Do you know it's possible to impress God? God might look down from heaven and say, Dan, you're a man after my father David. I hope so. Because when we give our lives totally like Hezekiah did, he didn't stop anything. He removed an idol which had been an idol for 400 years. Something which healed people, the snake in the desert, had become an object of idolatry. We have to be careful what God uses now doesn't become an idol for the future. But Hezekiah removed that. He broke it down. He took the idols out of the temple. He took them from the high places. He kept the commandments that had been given to Moses. This guy was a brilliant man of prayer. Can you imagine it? Jerusalem is surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians. Now that might make you a little bit afraid. It would do particularly when the guy who's shouting up at the walls actually knows your language. And starts to talk in your language. says, you know, you didn't ought to believe in the Lord of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is telling you a load of rubbish. You're all going to die. Look at all these kingdoms we've conquered so far. What makes you so special? 
You know, one man in the hands of God is very dangerous. He's more dangerous than 185,000 Assyrians. So Hezekiah prays and Isaiah tells him that God will save them. And what happens? That night, it says in 2 Kings 19, 34 and 35, this is what it says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. Do you know that God does things for his own sake? For my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people rose early in the morning, I don't know who they were, they must have been a couple of lucky people, they were all dead bodies. Angel of the Lord, for those of you who don't know, is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Don't put Jesus into a tame category, please. You know, when he is holy and when he is exercising his right of authority, then things happen like this. Hezekiah restored temple worship and commanded that the tithe for the Levites was brought to the temple. Just turn to 2 Chronicles 31, verse 7. This is an amazing thing. If you can imagine, temple worship had been uh, not happening, had been completely forgotten. The temple itself was a mess. It was like a garbage dump. And what happened was, Hezekiah said to people, open up the temple, let's get it cleared out, let's get the priesthood restored, let's get the Levites doing what they're supposed to do. And they restored worship and they had a Passover that lasted 14 days. It was an amazing thing and the glory of the Lord came. (laughs) You know how many of you know when the glory of the Lord comes, you cannot stand up. And glory literally means weight. When God falls on you, you're not going to stand up, let me tell you. This is what it says, in the third month, because Ezekiah has made a decree, he says, look, let's bring the tithe into the house. Let's start supporting the Levites like we were supposed to. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps. Say heaps. Heaps. Not trickle, not a few coins, but heaps. Heaps that were visible. And finished them in the seventh month. So in order for them to bring everything in that they were going to bring in, it took them four months. Hallelujah. Are you not praying for that right here? (laughs) We need it, don't we? When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. I'm sure I would as well. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and Levites about the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. Do you see what happened? Hezekiah was wondering how on earth the people could give all this stuff, all this money, treasure, possessions, and still eat. And the priest says, don't worry. (laughs) This is actually coming out of the increase that God has already brought them because they started giving. Hallelujah. Yes, you can do. This is Pentecostal church, I thought. Anyway, yes, because this is what they have given out of the increase upon increase upon increase. Amen. Somebody told me you're trying to build a church around here. Is that true? Now, I know the church is not the building, okay. <laughs> but we operate in and out of a building, don't we? Now, let me ask you a question. Is Zion's legacy going to be an aborted dream? 
There is a dream and the leadership here, I know they're great people and they have sought God and they believe that the third place is what God has put on their heart. But sometimes we have to start giving out of lack. And let me tell you, Israel at this time had lack, a lot of it. Jerusalem was in lack. And they started giving and they gave and they gave and they gave because as they were giving, God was coming in behind them and giving them more and more and more. And let me tell you, you cannot outgive God. The challenge is there before us. What is the legacy that this church is going to stand for? It's not about a building, I know that. But the third place is what God has put on this leadership's heart. So let's see it happen. Let's get before God and see if he's going to ask us to give outrageously so that heaps start to appear. Amen? Gosh, you're nervous now, aren't you? I'll tell you. (laughs) But I've seen it. When we start to give, God does something. When we act out of obedience, you know, there's not always the anointing and glory there when we start. But you can be sure it will come after you because God loves a cheerful giver. And sometimes when we give, we go, wow, that was amazing. I haven't got that much. That's really funny. But we have to start to put God first in our hearts. Our legacy has to be what he wants. Hezekiah becomes sick. And the prophet Isaiah visits the palace. This is, sometimes you wonder where the prophets and the kings fit in. Here you go. Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah are together. He gives Hezekiah some bad news. After all this stuff that Hezekiah has done and he's built aqueducts and he's done engineering projects and he's built cities and he's done brilliant stuff with the temple, he's removed all the idols, Hezekiah learns that the ulcer he has in his stomach is actually going to kill him. So Hezekiah sets his house in order, he makes his will and testament, he calls his sons together and he says he's going to die. No, because Hezekiah has not actually read the script. In 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 3, he says, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, I don't know how quickly Isaiah walked or how big the palace was, but before he got across the middle court, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Not weeks and weeks of prayer and fasting. A few minutes of prayer where Hezekiah reminded God of all that he had done. You see, Hezekiah saw what Isaiah said to him as a challenge. He didn't see it as a fait accompli. He saw it as a warning and he took it and he prayed and God changed his heart. Actually, prayer is a partnership. Have you worked that out? Sometimes God is just seeing, he's itching to see whether we will get down and pray seriously for that thing to change. And we'll see later what happens when you don't. So Hezekiah prays earnestly. And before Isaiah's left the place, he's got an extra 15 years. 
The initiative is still God's. It's God who granted him the 15 years. Don't make the mistake that Hezekiah was the one who, you know, kind of did it and God just joined in. During this 15-year period, Hezekiah has a son named Manasseh. Manasseh. How many of you heard of Manasseh? Yeah? He was a horrible boy. You know? He was a horrible boy. And he put his son through the fire. And you have to ask a question. I've just read to you all that Hezekiah did. How he got rid of the temple, uh, the, the idols in the temple. How he tore down the high places. How he did all these different things. How he saw the king of Assyria turned around because he prayed. Because he believed that God could do all these things. But Manasseh was born in the 15 year period following his prayer. What happened? Some people would say that maybe God should not have granted Hezekiah the 15 years. Maybe Hezekiah should not have prayed that prayer. Maybe he should have just said, it's okay, I'm ready to go, I'll go back with you. I do not believe that. I do not believe that. But you have to ask the question, what did Manasseh see in his father that made him that way? In 2 Chronicles 32, we read this, verse 23. He's talking about Hezekiah. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. In other words, God blessed Hezekiah. He blessed him. He, you know, nation of Israel is a small nation and Judah was even smaller. But God blessed him. He brought things to him. He showed them what was going on. He, he said to Hezekiah, look, all of these nations... I'm going to give tribute to you. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. To quote Bill Johnson, Hezekiah did not go lower. He didn't humble himself further. As the favour increased that brings an increased capacity to sacrifice. In other words, as we get blessed, we should get to our knees more often. We should humble ourselves so that we see more of the blessing. Amen? So that we can handle the blessing. Because the blessing brings sacrifice. More and more sacrifice. The legacy should enable our children to go further than us. You capture the moment for the next generation. That is legacy. Our children should not have to build the same foundation that we have. They should build on the foundation we have and go further. Bill Johnson is a fifth generation pastor. It's always in his notes. I don't think that's a mistake. He's saying five, four generations of my fathers have built a legacy for me to build on. And his sons are also in the ministry. People, we've got to understand that what we do matters. That the foundation that we dig while we're here on earth matters for our children. And the sacrifice that we make has an effect. David, after he'd ordered the census, remember he he wanted to count all the strong men in Israel. And God judges him and says, that was a wrong thing to do because it's about your strength and not mine. And he throws himself upon the mercy of God. Many thousands are killed. And when a sacrifice is demanded, 
The angel's sword is pointed over Jerusalem. The same angel of the Lord is pointed towards Jerusalem. David asks the guy whose land he's standing on, Ornan, for the threshing floor, which Ornan is more than happy to give to him. He says, take it, my king, and everything on it. But look at David's response. No, I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. What are we here for? This life, this full life will cost you everything. And it is a price well worth paying. But we have to understand that sacrifice is what's required if we're going to see anything of the legacy that God wants us to have. See, Hezekiah plateaued in his humility. He became proud. And when Isaiah inquires again of the king what the men of Babylon want, because these guys came from Babylon and he took them round the temple and he took them into the temple treasury and he showed them everything that God had given him. He started to boast about those things. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? You know, the world is crying out for fathers. The world is crying out for fathers. The church is crying out for fathers. But you know, fathers are not children. Fathers are grown up, they're mature. And we need fathers, we need spiritual fathers who will father us in the kingdom. Some of you are being called to be fathers. And we need to understand this, Hezekiah was supposed to be a father before God and he wasn't. He, he prayed and he turned to the wall when he was told he was sick and God granted him favour. He gave him 15 year more years. Then his own children, his own children were going to become eunuchs in the palace of the Lord and what did he say well at least it won't happen in my lifetime what happened to him that he wouldn't get on his knees at that point and weep and cry out for his children for I am sure God would have found favor for him but he didn't Hezekiah lost paradise how sad In one generation, Manasseh undid all that God had done through Hezekiah. Why is it that we cannot carry the blessing? What is it that short-circuits the favour that the Lord has put on us? What is it? You know, it's contained in the fact that legacy is both a witness to the glory of God and a foundation upon which the blessing can continue to future generations. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. I once thought all these things were so very important Paul, remember, I think he was going to be the next high priest, servant of a, a student of Gamaliel. He was headed for the high ranks within the Pharisee circle. But he thinks, now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
In order to build a legacy out of your life and not a monument, there are things I submit to you that, need, that we need help with. One, faith. We have to have faith. And if you don't need a miracle, you don't need faith. How many of you need a miracle in your families? How many of you need a miracle in this church? How many of you need a miracle in those that you know who do not yet know Christ? How many of you know people who are sick and infirm? How many of them need a miracle? Then if they need miracles, then you need faith. Because faith demands heavenly intervention. Faith says, I believe you are God. I believe you exist. I believe you can answer my prayer. And I'm going to keep praying for those that need healing. (laughs) And I'm still learning, but I'm not going to stop praying. I'm waiting for the first person to be raised from the dead. But I want to see that because that's the God who we serve. He's the God of life, not death. Amen? I don't understand why some people don't get healed, but I'm not going to stop praying for them to be healed either. We need a relationship with God. It's not about religion. I know this guy's you know, looking in and trying to understand what's going on when people of religion speak. But it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Don't treat father like a slot machine. He's, a, he's your father. Have a relationship with him. It's not money in answers to prayer out the bottom. It's a relationship. Don't ever treat our father that way. He wants your heart. Family. <laughs> you know, in family, you learn very quickly that more is caught than taught, don't you? My dad used to say something like, don't do as I do, do as I say. And I'm going... Yeah, right. Okay. You know, you're watching, aren't you? <laughs> For those of you who've got small children, you will enjoy the first time your son says something exactly the way you say it. But understand this. If you are not showing God in your life as a father within your family or as a mother within your family, then what will your children pick up? Your testimony will build a legacy in your children's lives. Not just your, your physical children, but your spiritual children. Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is my current prayer. And it needs to be our prayer because what is in heaven is what happens on earth. What did Jesus say? I do what I see my Father doing. In other words, God was in heaven making wine. <laughs> Because that's what Jesus did at the wedding, wasn't it? He changed water into wine. Because should be good, some good stuff up there, maybe. <laughs> Understand this. What you see the Father doing, you should be doing on earth. Ask if you can see what he is doing. Let me finish on a personal note. I kept having a picture in my mind over a uh, few months ago. It was a picture, if you can imagine it, of a, of a flower. Uh, I'm not very good with gardening or flowers. I couldn't tell you what kind of flower it was. It had a green stalk and a purple flower. It was very uh, vivid, even down to the kind of uh, droplets of water on it. You know what I'm saying? That kind of picture that you see. And it was a beautiful flower. It was lovely. You could kind of smell it. It was brilliant fragrance. And it was encased in glass, totally encased in glass. And I had this picture several times, even once or twice when I was asleep and also when I've been awake. And I wasn't sure whether it was for the church or for myself. So I asked one of the intercessors in the church, could you just pray about this and see who it's for? And she came back to me and she said, Mark, it's for you. I said, okay. She said, you love God. 
And you want to put him on display. You want to tell everyone about God. And it's brilliant. And it's there for everyone to see. But you don't let him out. I don't know about you, whenever I receive a prophetic word or a word like that, I go, okay, what do I do with that? Because <laughs> you kind of go away, I've had a prophecy. And then you spend the next six years trying to work out what it was about. But as I came away from that, I realized that what it was about was this. I knew that God loved me. I knew that God loved me. But I wasn't sure that I loved him. And I'll tell you what it was. It was encapsulated in John 21, where Peter and Jesus have a conversation. And Jesus, can you imagine him walking along the beach? He's got scars in his hands and his feet. And he looks at Peter and he says, Simon, son of Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? What a strange thing to ask him. Do you love me? Immediately, Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What does he say? Feed my sheep. In other words, it wasn't the knowledge that that he knew that God loved him. I'm sure he knew that. Or that Jesus loved him. But he was able to become a leader in the church when he understood that he loved Jesus. And that's different. Do you love Jesus? Are you intimate with Jesus? Are you so near to him that that he consumes your everything? You don't come here to get fed. You come here to worship God. And in worshipping God, you get fed. It's subtle but different. Legacy is all about understanding who Jesus is. We're going to take communion now. And if the band could come up, that would be great. But we have to understand who is this Jesus that we serve. Some of us, as we come to this feast, and it's a marvellous feast. I love celebrating communion because it celebrates all that is united about what is, uh, what is our relationship with Christ. And when in, in India, when we came together, there were Filipinos and Koreans and Americans and Germans and Canadians. And we all met around the same table and we shared the same bread and wine. And to me, that was what heaven is. When nations from every part of the world come together to celebrate this feast. It's about Jesus dying for us, shedding his blood and breaking his body on a tree for us. You see, the problem is we get stuck there. We see this broken saviour on a cross. And let me say to you that Jesus is no longer on the cross. He is risen. And John, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he got to see this risen Jesus, didn't he? And man, what an awesome vision. Eyes like fire. Feet like bronze. Jesus is awesome. He is the answer for this current situation. But don't take a broken, dying Christ into the world. 1 John 4, 17 says this, By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Whatever your vision of Christ is, That's how you will be in the world. Magnificent Saviour. Glorious Jesus. We're going to have communion together. And as you come, as it's brought round to you, just be thinking about what Jesus has done for you. What legacy do you want to leave behind? 
I'm going to ask because I believe that God is giving us leave to do that. that as, you come for, as the communion is given, if you want to come forward for prayer, specifically two things, for healing is one thing. For the other is for the return of the prodigals. The return of the prodigals. Those that knew Christ once or maybe have heard about Jesus that you know and you want to come forward and pray for them. And I want to pray for you that they come to Christ. Because Jesus is calling the prodigals back. And we will see numbers of them in this place. Let's just pray. Perhaps we could stand as we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you are magnificent. You are awesome. You are so much bigger than the circumstances we find ourselves in life. Lord, I want to pray for a fresh vision right now. I want to pray for a vision in each of our hearts and minds right now. You are the God who saves. You are the God who saves. You are the God who can do amazing things in our lives. Lord, we go through different challenges. We sometimes feel so desperate to know you, to know that you are looking upon us in, a, in the detail of our life as we weep and we cry and we try and work out what we are doing here. But Lord, you have called us for legacy. You've called us to bequeath something that is greater than ourselves to the next generation. And Lord, I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, you will be the center of our lives. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but we know this. We have faith in you. Faith in you. Jesus, you are reconciling all things to yourself. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And as we look upon this bread and wine, we understand that you gave everything. It cost you everything to make the sacrifice for us to come into your presence. And Lord, we can do no less. So Lord, as we take this bread and this wine, I pray, Lord Jesus that we will be willing to sacrifice everything, that it may cost us something to be a follower of Christ. We thank you that in the same way, Lord, you took bread and you broke it and you gave thanks and you said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, you took the cup And you said, this is my blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. So as we take these emblems, Lord, I ask you, join our hearts together and let us believe for the impossible. Let us build for the next generation so that we see something new in this nation right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.